Go with me to page 99. Page 99 in the manual. Not in your Bible. <laughs> so, yes, page 99. <clears throat> now, we've been talking about some things. We've been giving you a bunch of nuggets, pieces here and there. And, you, and as we go along, you'll see how they start to fit together. But there are also some specific teaching that we're going to be doing on specific topics. We'll be doing that in the next couple of sessions. Uh, in the meantime, I want to take you to a couple of places. This is the overall uh, reason, as, we, as we've been saying, that makes it all work. Right? Uh, now, what I mean by that is this, it, it is actually this point. We have, there are people that still practice healing in a way that is old covenant. Okay? They do get some results. The results are usually uh, very minor. Okay, the success rate usually is in the 20s to 30s uh, in the percentage rate, uh, which is not near good enough, uh, especially for the sick person, or to properly represent Jesus. Uh, now, also in that, <clears throat> there is a uh, when I say the old covenant mindset, we're talking about how they minister, and even. A large part of it is even in the area of spiritual gifts. People still minister even in spiritual gifts in the mindset of the Old Covenant. And so and essentially the difference between the Old Covenant mindset, and you'll see it here uh, in your manual, uh, we'll, we'll go through it very quickly here because it's very easy to see. The basic difference is this. Old Covenant mindset people still have the idea that God is out there and they have to somehow get to him and get him to agree or get him to move or get him to do something. Okay? That is an old covenant mindset. That is not a new covenant mindset. We are not in the old covenant. We are in a new covenant. Uh, you can see this amply through Galatians and Hebrews and pretty much all through the New Testament. It refers to it, and, and many times it says if the uh, old, when you say old covenant, by the fact that you say old covenant means that there is a new covenant. And so it goes into all this. When you say old covenant means that it is actually ready to pass away and a new covenant has been instituted. We will look at this specifically in the next couple of uh, sessions because it's going to tie in with some of the other teaching that we need to uh, come into to be able to finish this up. The whole point with this is very simple, though. We are co-workers with God, fellow laborers with God. We are <clears throat> joint heirs with Christ. We are heirs of God. And we need to realize that it is not a matter of being separated from him and he's there and we're here. We have to realize that even though he's there and we're here, we're seated with him there and he's here with us. Right? So either way you look at it, you know, we could say, you know, it's, we're here and he's there, or he's here with us and we're there with him. It doesn't matter how you say it, but it all ends up, we're together. Okay? And the very essence of New Covenant mindset is you eliminate the distinction between, or the, I should say the separation between you and God. Right? So no matter where he is, he's with you. No matter where you are, you're with him. And so we always use this in, in weddings and things like that when we say, what God has joined together, let no man put us under, right? 
And so we realize that then we're saying these two people are being joined together and they are to be one. And even though we still know there, there are two beings in front of us, they are to be one in union, one in uh, goals, uh, objectives, uh, desires, where you're going, uh, all of this. You're to be one. <clears throat> well, it's in Paul used that example uh, for the church being connected to God. So the whole idea is that we are one with Him. He, in First Corinthians six seventeen, it says, "He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit with the Lord." <clears throat> so the biggest hurdle that most people have to 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 jump or to clear, we would say, is that they have to eliminate the thinking of always us and Him. You know, us and Him. It's not us and Him. It's we. You got that? We are so joined together that this is why many times you'll hear us and we, people say, well, you know, you're just, you're being too nitpicky over these things and, you know, over these individual words. Well, it's because words form mindsets. And these words, the, a wrong mindset in the Bible is called a stronghold. And so you build strongholds of the enemy by using the wrong terminology, by using the wrong words, because the wrong words give you the wrong picture. And it makes you think wrongly. And so we have to realize that we are joined together with him. So when you hear people say things like, well, you know, the, the Bible says his ways are above our ways. And, and you know, okay, uh, you have to go back and realize that was said in the Old Testament. <coughs> that is never said in the New Testament. Okay. As a matter of fact, everything after that was said, all through the Psalms and everywhere else, constantly it is saying, Lord, teach me your ways. Lord, show me your ways. And that was still under an old covenant, spiritually dead person. In the new covenant, the whole point, and this is usually my answer when I hear somebody say something like that, if they say, well, God's ways are higher than our ways or beyond our ways and his thoughts above our thoughts, usually I say, well, get saved. Uh, because okay, because if your ways aren't his ways, you're not saved, right? I don't care what you claim. Your his ways must be your ways, right? Yep. <clears throat> so, and we, the problem is, it's like people saying, "Well, you know, without him, we can do nothing." Okay, that's a true statement. But why emphasize that unless you're without him? Right? Uh, it also says, "With him, we can do all things." Why don't we emphasize that? Right? It just depends on whether you're with him or without him. Right. And the thing is, when you start to realize that you are with him and you start talking this way, it automatically shows the difference between a religious mindset and a new covenant mindset. And the religious mindset is the old covenant mindset. Okay. So we need to realize this and we need to change our vocabulary. We need to change the terminology and understand what's actually being said. So to say that, that means that we need to start recognizing ourselves as one with him, joined with him that we are having our minds renewed to his mind. First uh, Corinthians, and you might want to look at this as a matter of fact, but in First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, it tells us, it says, And who shall instruct him? Or who has known the mind of the Lord? He shall instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. We have it, right? Not we're going to get it. We have it. Now, you can say we have it all you want, but until you start talking and acting like you have it, uh, you might as well not have it. Right? Because it will do no good until you start to actually function in it or get it to function in you. We're told, people say, well, yeah, but that was mine. You know, that was Christ. You can't have his mind. Well, first off, we already have his mind. You say, how do you know? Because he said, we have the mind of Christ. So we know we have it. 
Okay. And then people say, well, yeah, but you know, that was, that was his mind. And okay, uh, you know, we may have it, but that doesn't mean we can think like him. Well, that's exactly what it means. Okay. That is exactly what it means. And it says, he even tells us, uh, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So now we can find out how our mind is supposed to be working in conjunction with him. If you read that next part, he said, who didn't think it, even though he was found in, a, in the form of God, didn't think it was robbery to be considered equal with God. Well, you need to think about some of that, because it's kind of like, wow, that's pretty strong stuff. Right? You start realizing, and he said, but nevertheless, he took on the form of a servant. Even though he knew he was Lord of all, he took on the form of a servant and helped mankind. And that's the primary aspect that we're to have in our mind. <clears throat> when he said, let this mind be in you, he was talking about the, having the mind of a servant, recognizing, why do you think he kept telling people, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought? That means that something we learn in here uh, might, if, if we're not careful, could tend to make us think more highly of us <laughs> of ourselves than we might ought to think. That means there's some really good stuff in here. When we start reading it and believing it, we might start saying, wow, you know, I, I'm, I'm really something. Well, yeah, because God made you something and you were something until you started thinking like that. And as soon as you thought you were something, you became nothing. <laughs> right? <clears throat> so the key is to know you're something, but don't act like you're something and just do something. Yeah. Amen? <laughs> so, okay? So, <laughs> I don't know how I can do that. I don't know. That's, so, <laughs> yeah, we'll have to get the tape and write that one down. So, <clears throat> but we need to realize, and, and really this is what, if you look at people like Smith Wigglesworth, John G. Lake, all these people, this is what made them different. Yeah. It wasn't just a healing doctrine. It was the understanding that, see, what, what made their healing different was that they recognized they didn't have to ask God to do it. And they acted in Jesus' stead. In other words, what would Jesus do if he were here? That's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to act in his stead. I'm supposed to represent him. So I'm just going to act like him. I'm, I'm going to, and technically that's what and, and understand, we should use the name of Jesus because that lets people know who we're connected to. It lets us, lets people know, it lets demons know, sickness know, all that, that they must obey because we're using that name. That's the authority that we are operating in. See, it's not your authority, it's his authority, the authority of his name. And so you use that name. But do you realize there were many times that they did some amazing things and didn't use the name of Jesus? And the reason was because they were doing it in his name. See, they weren't just saying, in the name of Jesus. See, it's not an incantation. It's not some uh, charm that you invoke, right? It's not like a spell or something like that. It is that when you use the name of Jesus, then you have to act in the name of Jesus, which means you have to not just say what he wants said, you have to do what he wants done. And when you do that, you start doing things, and this is the amazing thing, you start doing things that only God can do. And when you do them, it's God doing it through you. Right, So that's why we don't take any credit for healings or dead raisins or anything else. We don't take credit for it. Why? Because we know it was him in us doing the work. Right, And so once we recognize that, then we start to get the, the right picture. We can go and do and step out anytime we want, and we're stepping out in faith, meaning that we believe that that's God's will according to his word, and we can step out anytime, anywhere, and do anything and the more you step out and do that, the stronger that gets in you, and then things get bigger and bigger and bigger as you go. Now, the problem with that <clears throat> is that in the middle of all that, you have the enemy trying to stop you, 
And usually he will use people around you. He will use family. He'll use friends. He'll use, uh, you know, church officials, uh, people like that, that we've had people that come to these seminars and they learn and they go do it and they see it and sit right in front of them and they're all excited and they go back to their home church and people are getting healed and then all of a sudden, oh, well, uh, you can't go pray for the sick anymore. You know, what do you mean I can't go pray for the sick? No, well, you're in this church and, and we tell you, you need to just just sit down and, and you need to still learn some more and you, you don't go praying for the sick anymore. And they will tell them not to do what Jesus has told them to do. And many times people obey it. We had a, I'll just, well, I won't name names, but I will give you a good idea. Okay. Well, let's just say there was a very famous church on the West Coast that had healing rooms. And some of the people that we trained ended up out there and started praying for people. And people were getting healed just really quick and really good. And it was good, notable healings. And the people said, hey, come work in our healing rooms. So they went in and started praying for people. People started getting healed uh, in the healing rooms themselves. And they started helping teach people. And it finally made its way, you know, the reputation of what was going on made its way up to the higher echelons of the church, of the church leadership. And they came down and said, uh, how are you doing this? And they said, well, we went through uh, Craig Blake's DHT. That's what we learned. That's where we learned how to do this. And then they said, okay. And then they went back and two days later, they came back and said, you can't, you can't pray here anymore. Uh, why not? Well, you're not relying on the anointing enough. And they said, well, if we're not relying on the anointing, how are people getting healed? And they said, well, it's just not the way we do it. And they were fine until they mentioned my name. It was okay. You could do it that way until they mentioned my name. There was another person up on, again, on the West Coast that, uh, <clears throat> I don't know what it is about the West Coast. I don't know. <laughs> just a little higher up around the Seattle area. And there was a person that uh, was very vocal against us when we first started, mainly because <clears throat> when we went to the East Coast, they sent somebody out with some paperwork asking me to sign this paperwork and become a member of their organization. And I didn't want to because I didn't see where that would help anything. And I didn't see where it would help us help them even because I knew they, they didn't like what we did. And so I refused. So after I refused and they went within about two weeks on their website, they were denouncing us and saying all this kind of stuff and saying stuff like, you know, nobody, nobody should claim John Lake's anointing acting as if we did, which everybody knows us. No, we've never said that at all. And so then uh, we went out to the West Coast. We were in uh, Port Elizabeth, I think, or something like that, one of those out there and near uh, Bellingham. And a person of renown came to the meetings, uh, was listened, sat in on the DHT, got really excited about it, made a whole bunch of notes and took all these notes and everything. And then uh, we made a friendship, and then he left and went back, and he was actually a part of that group that had wanted us to join that I didn't join. So when he went back, they uh, he, he, they asked him, they said, well, uh, they each took turns ministering in this in their local church there, and so it was his turn to teach. So he got up, and he said, instead of teaching one night, I'm going to do this in a one-day seminar. So everybody come out Saturday, and we'll, we'll teach you this, and then we'll send you out. And they, he, they didn't know what he was going to teach. So he got up and taught a very condensed version of the DHT. Didn't call it the DHT. Didn't say where he got it, just taught it. Oh, everybody there was excited, loved it, wanted to, to, to join into it. Once said, yeah, this is it. This is what we've been looking for. And then they, and one of them, the guy that wrote me the letter saying join, uh, asked him, said, where did you, where'd you find this? He said, I went to Curry Blake's meeting out here. And he said, this is, this is what he teaches. 
Oh, well, you know, after, on second thought, we, we, we really probably shouldn't add this into what we're teaching here. It might confuse the people. And it's like, you're the only one confused, you know? <clears throat> but so we've seen that kind of stuff. And we've seen it where people, just because of a name association or something else, the amazing thing is, if you go back and read the prophecy that Dr. Lake gave, he actually said that. He said that we wouldn't be understood, but we would also be uh, rejected by our brethren. So every time I hear that, I'm like, yep, Lake was right. <laughs> you know, just here's another one. He too experienced all that kind of stuff. But the only reason I'm saying this is because I want you to realize when you leave here, you need to have this in you. You need to continue studying it. You need to make sure you got it. And you need, you're going to have to make a decision because there will be somebody that will tell you to stop. And you're going to have to make a decision as to whether you're going to believe the truth and you're going to keep moving forward or you're going to back off just to stay in the good graces of whoever you're around. Right? Now, I can tell you, uh, I've said it often. You know, if you're going to walk with God, sometimes you're going to walk alone. And it was, there were several years that I did walk along. There's many years that, uh, everywhere we went, there was absolute rejection. I mean, they didn't take it. The people loved it. The ministry didn't like it. And which really shocked me because if the people get this, the ministry would have an easier job because they don't have to do it all. But unfortunately, a lot of people in ministry are actually broken, wounded people that need to be needed. And when you start helping people realize that, that they're not needed, they get upset. And so, and you say, well, what do you mean not needed? Well, the fivefold ministry is needed, but you shouldn't be codependent, Amen. right? You, you're, they're needed to help grow you and teach you and send you out, uh, not to gather you up and keep you there and not have you do anything. And so <clears throat> that's been one of the main things. So, but that's an, uh, the difference here is that that is an old covenant mindset with it versus a new covenant mindset. The new covenant mindset is to teach, train, equip, send out. An old covenant mindset is to gather and to make sure everything is, is done in a certain way. Now, there are rules. There are ways to do things that make it right. Uh, there's things, and in the beginning, it's good to adhere to them. And then as you learn, you can actually start to kind of branch out on your own, so to speak, meaning that you'll start to do things a little bit different. You'll start experimenting. When I was in, um, <clears throat> where was that, Grand Junction, Colorado, I tell a story all the time. There was this... Uh, you know, at the time that I was there was during the same time when Benny Hinn started waving his jacket at people. If you remember that, it's about the same time period. And so that was a big thing. And so, and there, he caught a lot of flack over it. And it was funny because I was teaching one night and we had just doing some demonstration healing. And this lady came up, little lady, elderly, uh, deaf in both ears. And the deacon guy was there with her, one of the elders in the church. And he was standing next to her, and I got up, and I said, look, I just want to show you. It's not about the method. I can lay hands on her. I can speak a word. I said, And I was you know, feeling kind of aggressive, okay? And, and so, I, look, I can do this any way I want to. I said, God doesn't care what I do as long as I can release my faith when I do it. He doesn't care how I do it as long as I can release my faith. And I said, I can lay hands. I can speak a word. Or I could step back, and I stepped back about 15 feet. And I said, I could step back, and I could, wave, I could wave my hand. And I said, in Jesus' name, you deaf and dumb spirit, come out. That was it. Just, they both fell. Bam. And when they fell down, they both started getting back up. He helped her up. Her ears, perfectly open, perfectly, could hear perfectly. Then the elder walked over to me, and he said, Brother Curry, he said, that's amazing. He said, I, I was deaf in one ear. Well, I didn't know that. He said, but I can hear. 
And I said, well, now we know why Jesus called it a deaf and dumb spirit. I was aiming at the one in the woman, and the one in you was so dumb, he didn't know any better, so he left too, right? So, okay. Now, not saying that's exactly correct theologically, okay? But regardless, they both got free. And I was just aiming at one, you know? And so the whole point was that I was, I waved my arm. It didn't, what you do, it's not the method. See, we get hung up on the method. And then we try to imitate the method. We have to realize it's not the method. Whenever it says to imitate those who through faith and patience inherited the promises, it doesn't mean go back and do what they did. It means look at their faith. What what kind of faith did they have? You don't have to imitate their action. Now, sometimes it'll correspond, but you don't have to imitate the action. You imitate the faith, right? Because, you know, most of you may never be in a place where an, an iron axe head is borrowed and then lost, and you have to go you know, touch water with a twig and get it to rise, okay? But the idea is the faith that it took to do that. Amen? And so we have to be able to look at not the methods, but the faith. And whatever we can do to release the faith, then that's what we need to do. Some people need to do certain things to release their faith. Other people don't. The problem is, if you set up any type of ritual for how you release your faith, eventually the ritual will become more important than the faith. And eventually it will become the idol because you'll think you have to do that. You know, there's all kinds of, you'll see some of them a little bit later on because we're going to talk about some specific teachings. But in this, I want to show you the difference between old and new covenant because without it, you will only get usually between 25, 30, maybe 40% success, maybe. And that's even with gifts. But if you learn how to operate from a new covenant mindset, Everything changes. All of a sudden, there's freedom. There, there's, and, and in that freedom, power flows easier. You know, one of the things, I'll, I'll give you just a kind of a kind of strange little thing, right? Whenever I minister, if you watch me, when I start to minister to people, I will step up toward them, and many times I will step up and I will take their hands. And if you'll see my arms are bent roughly at 90 degrees, maybe not a perfect 90, but roughly, right? And then when I do that, as soon as I take their hands, if you watch, I will step back a little bit and straighten my arms. Now you say, why would you do that? <clears throat> it's not about me trying to, I, I don't purposely think about it, but there is a fact. <clears throat> Dr. Lake said that the power of God in the natural was like electricity. Well, that's a really good example okay, of how it flashes through and how it does things. Uh, it's a good example and how it works. And there's even a uh, there's a lot of correlation to it. And the reason Dr. Lake talked about it was because in his time, electricity was still a fairly new thing. And it was, there was a lot of excitement around it and what it could do, and they were finding out new things. And he, there's even a, a conductivity of like electricity that when we were in Africa last time, uh, and I've done this actually several times. I think we did it in Peru too. I'm not sure. Uh, I don't remember if we did. But <clears throat> there'll be times whenever there'll be people in the middle aisle that I can't get to or in the middle of a row. And I'll just tell them, okay, everybody just grab hands. And just, they'll just grab hands, and I'll take the hands of the person on the end. And then whenever I just decide to release the power of God, it will go through every person except the last person, which is the person that needs it, and they'll get it. It just flows through. Why? Connectivity or conductivity. Okay? It works just like electricity. It's amazing. And now, if any person broke that, that chain, so to speak, it probably would have stopped there, but then it would de deter be determined by my faith and my intention because your faith follows your intention. 
See, you can be saying one thing, thinking something else, and your faith will follow your intention, not what you're saying. Now, the best thing is for your faith to follow your words. That's what you want to happen. But many times your, your intention will overshadow your words. And that's why when I minister to people, my intention, no matter what I say, my intention is healed head to toe. Right? That's what I want. Even if I, you know, highlight their kidneys, their, you know, whatever it is, their lungs or whatever it is, I will still, I'm still focusing on head to toe. If God can heal any part, he can heal every part. Right? And so I look at those kind of things. So, but now one of the things, and kind of get back to the arms, another application, we know that the Spirit many times in the Bible is referred to as water, or there is a water aspect of it. And whenever I minister, what I've noticed, and see, if I, if I come out here and I, you know, do anything, right, just my hands anywhere, I may not feel anything. And many times even when I'm ministering, I don't feel anything because I don't, I don't require it. Okay. Even if I don't feel anything, sometimes they'll feel it and I don't. Sometimes I feel it and they don't. Sometimes we both feel it. Sometimes neither of us feel it. Right. And none of that determines whether they get healed or not. Okay. None of that matters as to whether they get healed. But what I've learned is that if I come out and because I have done this so many times, now, literally probably hundreds of thousands of times individually with people going from person to person to person. Whenever I do this and I stand here for probably maybe 15 to 20 seconds, I will start to feel. Why? Because the spirit in me has literally been trained that when I do this, oh, this is, this is work mode. This is healing. This is, what, this is when I flow. So it's like I do this and he goes, okay, let's get with it. And he starts flowing, even if there's nothing there to flow to. Now, you say, that sounds strange. I, I know. How do you explain it? I can't. You know, I never said I, I know everything. Okay. Uh, just, I've learned a few things that work really, really good. And that's what we stick with. Okay. And then but we also experiment to, to check things out. But what I notice is that whenever I'm like this, if I, a lot of times when I'll take someone's hands, I may step up too close and my arms will be like this. And when I do that, I've noticed if I step back, it'll start to flow. If I step too close, it doesn't seem to flow as good. Still works. It just doesn't seem to flow as good. So after the first few times that happened, I started thinking, okay, there's, this is weird. Whoa, what's going on here? See, I, I like to analyze things and say, okay, how does it work? Why is it working? Because if you can figure out what, you know, why it's not or why it is working, then you can figure out the opposite. And so I noticed, and I started realizing, because he's talking about being the Spirit, and he says, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water, then this is kind of like garden hoses. And the more I bend a garden hose... The kink in the garden hose causes it not causes it not to flow as good. Now, I didn't I didn't think of that and make it happen. It was happening, and I was looking for the explanation. And so then I started doing that, and I started seeing. And it's funny because then I would actually, when I stepped up, I would do like this on purpose. Well, what's it doing? Building up. And then when I stepped back, it'd be like bam. I mean, as soon as I let it go, man. And many times when that happened, you could see the effect on the person. Sometimes they would fall. Sometimes they would just, they could feel it. And so I started noticing that it wasn't anything I was trying to do. It was things I was just making note of. Because when you're ministering, you'll start to notice things. And so that's the reason I'm telling you this, because I want you to think in terms of, if you look at what the apostles did, uh, the disciples of Jesus, other ministers in the New Testament, you'll see that things... They were, they, they prayed, they believed, they, they loved God, they, they served God, but at the same time, 
they did things that there was no um, precedent for. They did things that, you know, like, uh, well, many times, I mean, there were things that they had nothing to go by, and they just did it. And many times we look at it and we think, well, like prayer clause, right? There was really no precedent, okay? The closest we could get would be the hem of Jesus' garment. And so, and even then, even in the Bible in Acts 19, they don't call it a prayer cloth. It just says handkerchiefs and aprons that were taken from Paul's body. But it does say that these were, that God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, meaning this was unusual. This was not the normal thing, but it started happening. But guess what? Now, prayer cloths, as we call them, are very normal, right? They're not special miracles anymore, right? Why? Because they've become common, not in a bad way, but we know how they operate. And so we, we use them all the time. Well, and if we can do that and we get prayer claws or claws come in to us, all kinds of stuff, we pray over them, we send them back, we have our own, if somebody requests them, we have our own claws that we will, that we have bought, that we've you know, imprinted on them, that kind of thing, and we laid our hands on them. And all we do is there's no magic to it. It's just we, we do the same thing with the cloth that we would do with a person. And we just hold it and just let life go into it. And sometimes, usually when I do that, I'll, I'll say something like, Father, I thank you that wherever this cloth goes, there'll be healing, there'll be deliverance. Whatever it is, whatever they need, you will provide it. And right now, by an act of my will and my faith, I release your life, your spirit into this cloth. And I just do it. And then we send it back and we get testimony. We've had some of the greatest testimonies that we've ever had have come by way of prayer cloths. I mean, just amazing things. And what I love about it is that people, there was one lady in particular that um, had a brain tumor, and it was inoperable, and it was terminal. <clears throat> and she was in Springfield, Missouri, and she wrote to us, and we sent her a, a handkerchief. And then when she got it, she wore it, she got healed, she was a part of a group, and whenever she got healed, everybody wanted that cloth. So she started passing the cloth around, and everybody got, everybody got to wear it for like a week or so. And everybody that wore it got healed, every one of them. When I see, for me, when I hear stories like that, I love it because it goes further to prove that whenever we did what we did, God wasn't, he didn't have just her in his mind. He didn't, see, he didn't release power just for her. And when we give it to somebody else, it doesn't work. It's his life, his power, his spirit is in that. And it heals whoever it touches, which shows God wants to heal everybody. He'll heal anybody. It doesn't even matter. You see, and, and this is what I want to get across to you. In the, the church as a whole, and when I say the church, I'm about the body of Christ, what we've done in the church is that we have made healing about the person. And we have to realize healing is about God, right? And, but it's about us releasing him. It's, it's not about the person. Um, one of the instances uh, I told you earlier about whenever I was at the church in Vancouver. Did I tell you about the church in Vancouver? I told you, didn't I? When everybody, yeah, the 800, 1200 people got healed. Okay. Yeah. The Russian church. There you go. Yeah. Good. I was at a meeting last weekend and I told them, I couldn't remember if I told you or not because kind of all the meetings tend to blend if you're not careful. And so we've, we've had that kind of situation to where I didn't know anything about it, but there's a Bible situation the same way. If you go, actually, we can look at it. Let's go to, and we're going to stay in John. We're going to be there anyway. So go with me to John chapter 5. John 5. In verse 1, it says, After this, there was a miracle 
or I'm sorry, there, I'm reading the verse 54 ahead of it, sorry. <laughs> verse 1, in verse 54 ahead, it says, this is again the second miracle that Jesus did when he came out of Judea into Galilee. And so that's where I was starting. But verse 1, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. Now the word Bethesda actually means house of mercy. And so there was this house of mercy, and it had five porches, and each porch was around a pool, basically. <clears throat> and it was a, a near the sheep market. In, ver in verse 3 it says, In these five porches lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water, Who's, now notice, let's take this kind of piece by piece. An angel, they were waiting, they were all gathered up there. Now you, you notice there was a feast of the Jews. And they were all gathered up at this pool. And they were all waiting for the moving of the water. Why? Because an angel, now notice what it says, went down at a certain season. And went into the pool. And troubled the water. So you got to get this picture. This angel comes down at a certain season, which just happened to coincide every year with a feast of the Jews. Okay? And you'll find out that this feast that they're talking about was Passover. Okay? And so this angel would come down every Passover and would go into the water and would trouble the water. Now what that means is he would go in and play. He would go in and splash around. Can you just picture an angel just going down and, and just having fun moving the water around? Nobody could see him. But they see the water start moving. Everybody gets all excited and starts seeing the water moving. And you just, I just picture him there going, yeah, why, oh, look, here's, here's some water. And just starts splashing around. And he's just, you know, having a, a fun day, you know, splashing around in the pool. And for, for everybody else, it's like, here, he's here. This is it. This is going to be that great miracle. And now watch what happens. <clears throat> whosoever, underline whosoever. That's one of those words that most Christians don't believe. Okay. <clears throat> whosoever then first after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. Now notice these two words, whosoever and whatsoever. You get that? That's as big as you can get it. Whosoever got healed of whatsoever. Now, listen, please understand. God cares about you. He cares about every person. He cares about every part of your life. He cares about you. He cares about you. Okay? Are you convinced? I believe he cares about you. Yeah. All right? Because I'm, I'm fixing to say something that's going to sound contradictory, and I want you to get it. First, God cares for you. Okay? But listen carefully. This verse saying whosoever got him first got healed of whatsoever, what that means is God don't care who you are or what you got. You get that? Because whosoever got in first got healed of whatsoever. That means the whatsoever don't matter. That means the whosoever didn't matter. All you had to do was get him first. Isn't that right? Yeah. Now think about that. You say, why Why get him first? I don't know. It doesn't say. Yeah. Well, well, let's come up with a reason. No, let's don't. <laughs> See, that's where we get in trouble when we start coming up with reasons that aren't there. Okay. But what we do know is this. Every Passover, people would gather around this pool and an angel would come down and start moving the water. And then whoever got in first got healed. And it didn't matter what disease they had. So what does that tell us? God doesn't care what you got, and he doesn't care who you are. Isn't that right? 
and they got in and they got healed. Now, the amazing thing, and you start looking at this, because what that tells us now, and if you'll notice what happened with Jesus, and let's just keep on reading here, because he says, uh, yeah, in verse, well, I'm trying to jump over to verse six, uh, chapter 6, sorry about that, in verse 5. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. And when Jesus saw him lie, when he saw him laying there, and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, in that situation, he saith unto him, Will you be made whole? Will thou be made whole? In other words, do you desire to be made whole? Will you be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man. Now let's take this piece of at a time. Notice first off, there was a certain man there had had was impotent, laid there for 38 years. When Jesus found out that he was in that situation, he went right to him. You hear that? And I've heard preachers preach on this and how they talk about how there was all these people there and Jesus went there and he stepped over this person and stepped around that person and he, and he, he totally ignored all these other sick people just to get to this one man and because it was his day. And that's not what he's saying at all. The very verse itself proves the opposite, that God was ready to heal anybody of anything, and it didn't matter, right? But why did he go to this man? Because he had been this way 38 years, lying there. He could not help himself. He could not get in the water. And he goes up to him and says, Do you desire to be made whole? Will you be made whole? And notice what the man, the man doesn't even answer him. The man does what most Christians do, start complaining. First thing, right? Didn't even answer his question. He says, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. So he's trying to drag himself over. And before he can even get in there, somebody else steps into it, right? Well, first off, I think I would stay really close to the edge. Right? I mean, as soon as it started moving, I just roll over. Yeah, just something. Just roll on over. You know? Yeah. Just drop off in there, right? But now, notice what he says. And this is so, because I'm telling you, now this is King James. Now, if he had written this in modern English, or at least in Texan, he would have said it something like this. Yeah, these other people, all these you know, so good Christians, and here I'm trying to get in, and they just jump in front of me. Ain't nobody trying to help me. You know, I got nobody to help me. Instead, they're just walking over me and trying to jump in there first. So they, and some Christian they are. He said, well, there wasn't no Christian. I know I'm trying to bring it up to today, because that's exactly what I hear. When I ask for people, what's going on? Well, you know, I was doing this, and you, you'd be amazed at what happens in a healing line. Yeah, because there are times whenever I'll start somewhere and have to go back and come over and start here and come back and that kind of stuff. And, and many times I'll start at one end or I'll start at the other end. And if you don't start at their end, people get mad. I mean, they get upset. And, and then you start praying for them, you know, and you're going to minister. And as you start to minister and you're saying, in the name of Jesus, right, and they start praying. And they'll start praying every time. I'm like, Stop. Don't pray. Just don't pray. And you, when you interrupt somebody that's praying, they get mad. I mean, because they'll be praying. And I tell them, it hadn't helped you so far. So just stop. Just see, you can't pour water in a faucet that's on. Right? If they got water going and it's coming out and I got water going, it's just hitting. It's not going in. Just be quiet. Take it. Right? Just, just absorb it. Just stand there. Your praying hadn't helped you. Let me do what I do. Right? And just stand there and receive. And so, yes, and you talk to them that way and people get mad, you know? And so it's amazing how real the people in the Bible are when you start looking at their characters. And he says, 
Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, took up his bed and walked, and the same day was the Sabbath. Dun, 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 dun. There it is. <laughs> He's in trouble now. Okay. <laughs> and we know the story. And I, and, and I, you know, I like the stories because the whole point of this, people will bring this up. Well, why didn't he heal everybody? Well, it says right after that, he had to kind of make his way, you know, get away from everything. Uh, because of what was going on and because of the people and then everything would have been and he would have been made king and then it would have caused problems so he had to kind of sneak out. So, But if he had been there long enough, I guarantee he would have healed them all. Right? Why not? Why, you say, well, what makes you think so? What makes you think not? Everywhere else he went, he healed them all. Why would this be different? But, but the thing that points out is that why did Jesus go to that man? Because he had no man. He had been that way a long time. It wasn't right. He went to him. And notice he didn't say, how much faith have you got or anything else? Even after the man's complaining, he says, rise up, take your bed and walk. That, that, I've heard enough. Just, just shut up and get up and go. Just go, right? <laughs> so, but notice, and the only reason I'm bringing that out is because I want you to get the idea that what they did, even through Acts and all the way through, they went about doing good. Anybody that got in their path, they helped, right? They had this power within them. And that's what I want to get across to you. I, I don't want you to have to think that, Every time something happens, you've got to go fast and pray, and God's got to grant it, and He's got to pull this, you know, push this button, pull this lever, and out, you know, the celestial vending machine comes power to heal, right? That's not what it is. Now, I will tell you also, if you go into First um, John, First uh, John in chapter one and in chapter three, he actually goes into this, and twice he says the same thing, but gives different. Okay, he starts it the same way. This is the message that you've heard from the beginning. What? That God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Right? Now think about that. And then later on, he says that God is love, and that we are to love one another. Right? So we have to realize that this whole point, all I've been sharing with you over the last three days, is very simply this. God is light, and in him is no darkness. See, the, the, the God that most Christians present to the world has darkness in him. Yeah? Oh, I won't heal you until you get the sin out. Oh, I won't heal you until you get this broken. Or I won't heal you. See, God, that's not God. God is light in the sense that there is no darkness in him. He's good. He's pushing. He's done everything he can do to get you healed. And now all he's trying to do is get his followers to work with him. And instead, <clears throat> we work against him. You know, by telling somebody, well, you don't deserve it yet, for whatever reason. We wouldn't say those words, but we'd come up with something else. And we have to realize, it's not about us. Jesus made it very clear. Have you ever noticed whenever he was talking about power, he said, uh, <clears throat> when he said, go, heal the sick, do all these things, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils. He said, freely you've received, freely give. Now, it's funny because the way the church has taken that, he said, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils. Oh, and by the way, it's time to take up the offering. So, you know, we've given you freely, so freely give back. For some reason, we think that he switched into an offering sermon. He didn't. When he said freely you've received, freely give, he was still talking about power. He was still saying, listen, I'm giving you this power. He said, behold, I give you power. Not you earned it. He said, I've freely given you this power. So freely give it away. Don't pick and choose. Don't try to decide who deserves it and who doesn't. Just give it away. 
See, that's what we've got to realize as a church. When we start doing that, things get so easy because I don't have to go in and find every problem. Don't have to go in and find every, you know, how did it get there? How long has it been there? Uh, you know, what spirits are there? How many are there? What are their names? Uh, how did, you know, which one is the, the, the gatekeeper? The one that, the one that I got to get. And if I get him, all of the others will go. It's none of that. You don't see any of that in the Bible. And yet, we have built up an entire industry in the church with that. Beloved, we've got to see, we've not only got to see God ourselves in his nature and in his character that he really is, we've got to present that to the world. And when we do, the world will love Jesus. Most of the world loves Jesus now. They just don't like the church. Right? They love Jesus. They just don't like his kids. I've told God that myself. God, I love you. There's just some of your kids I can't stand. You know, there's some of your kids I can't deal with. Right? But we need to be the people that present the nature of God. Well, what better way is that than actually finding what needs a person has and meeting those needs, whether it's sickness, disease, hunger, clothing, whatever it is they need. See, we, we emphasize the power aspect, and that's fine because we need to, because we need to make sure we have power and, and bring power you know, to the situation. But we have to realize it's not all about power. Uh, most of it has to do with nature and character. And if you have the right nature and character, let me say it this way. If you have the, the right nature and character for power to flow well through you, uh, that same nature and character will also cause you to want to feed the hungry and clothe the naked. Right? It's not, but many times, and let me just be honest with you. When I started, I didn't, I wasn't looking for character development. My daughter died. I buried her. All I wanted was truth, and I wanted to know how do we get the power to work. And that was it. And that's what I was going after. That's why I had no qualms about violating, you know, things that people had built up, all these traditions and things. I had no problem with that. I'm like, look, if it's true, if if faith won't work because of that, then let's know it. And if I can do that and faith still work, and this is, you know, I don't have to pay attention, then great. It's one less thing I got to think about because I don't have time. I mean, let's just, i got to send you a break here, but I, I want to give you this last thing before we go. I want you to realize, think about this. If you have to find out the name of every demon and every sin and every past generational thing in your family or in somebody's family before you can set them free, then there, I could never take you with me to India. I couldn't take you with me to Kenya. I couldn't take you anywhere with me because you would be absolutely useless for you to do any good. You would have to stay there the rest of your life dealing with one person or one family. Why? Because they have millions of gods. They have sins and generational sin. I mean, everyone, every aspect of their life has a generational sin. Why? Because they're sin. They are still in sin. And yet we, it's amazing how, and see, this is what I've always said. If it's the gospel, it will work anywhere. And if it doesn't work anywhere, it's not the gospel. Right? And now, the bad part is, all this stuff that we've built up about having to search this thing out, know that, and counsel this person, that only works here in America. Why? Because we're the only people that are so consumer-driven that we want the personal attention that I want you to dig into my life and I want you, I want you to spend hours with me because I'm so important, I deserve the hours of your time. And this is way bigger because I'm, I'm just so important that, that this is way bigger than just a come out or a be healed. 
And we've developed that kind of mindset. And the bad part is what goes on here in America gets exported to every other country in the world as they get more industrialized. I'm not going to say civilized because believe me, there's some people that are more civilized than we are. But the more industrialized every country gets, we, we, and we export all of these things. You know, Hollywood exports the movies and, and the church exports the, the church culture. And the bad part is, is we are ruining people who had never heard stuff and we're giving it to them. And then when we go down, we actually have to help them unlearn what they had been taught. You know, I tell people all the time, listen, you didn't, you did not come here to learn things because the problem is the, the problem is not that you need more information. The problem is, you know, too much of the wrong stuff. So the point is not giving you more. The point is removing the old that doesn't work and coming to the truth. And when you do that, it's amazing how simple it gets. Amen? Amen. Let's take a quick break.